Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. On a very special Sunday, not only is it Sunday, Sunday's always special, of course, because we commemorate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but This particular Sunday in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, on the Gregorian calendar that is, we celebrate also this year at the same time as Resurrection, the Resurrection on Sunday as we always do, but also the Theophany, in other words, the Epiphany. In the Eastern churches, we call it Theophany because it is the Epiphany of something, the Epiphany of the Holy Trinity. In other words, a showing forth, the manifestation of the Holy Trinity. So that's why we get the word Theo, God, Ophany, Theophanic, in other words, like an epiphanic, an epiphany of God, a showing forth of God. Our Latin Rite brethren of the Western Long of the Church, of course, celebrate during Epiphany for them. It's the Christ being revealed to the three kings. For the Eastern churches, mainly Eastern churches, it's Christ, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity being revealed. So it's interesting how we come together along the same theme of revelation, of a revealing, a manifesting, a showing forth, an epiphany. So we do call this the Epiphany in the Eastern Church, but we more specifically call it the Theophany. And it's a marvelous experience to have it occur on Sunday, sort of a really a double header, a major double header today in, our, in the Byzantine churches. Now, one of the things that is significant about the Feast of the Theophany, well, first and foremost, above everything else, it's the revelation of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That, of course, especially to an Eastern Christian, is enough in itself because we're all about the Trinity, very, very strong emphasis on the Trinity. Everything we do is in threes and mindful of the Trinity, where we say that the Trinity has saved us. So a day like today is huge for us. In fact, I often tell my parishioners that this day, the day of Theophany, is the second holiest day, the second most splendid, magnificent day of the entire liturgical year, second only to Pascha, Resurrection Sunday itself. Now, I know it's not maybe exactly correct to speak in those terms, but it's just a way of emphasizing just how important this is. I'm proud to say whenever this feast day occurs on a weekday, I do get very good attendance at my parish of Annunciation. So a little pat on the back for my own parishioners who have learned that this is a very, very significant day, especially in the Eastern churches. As I mentioned, it's about revealing the Trinity. It's also the baptism of Christ. And this has immense significance in so many ways. And the best way to ascertain that significance, to immerse ourselves in it, is, as always, 
especially if you listen to this program for any amount of time, it's always been going into the liturgy of the Eastern Church. And by that, you're going into the soul of the Eastern Church. And one of the ways to go there is to go through the liturgical text. See, one of the differences between the Eastern Churches and the Western Churches is in the Eastern Church, we have what's called dogmatic hymnody or dogmatic chant. In other words, we sing and we chant dogma or our theology. In the Western Church, it's a little bit closer to just using the Scripture verses themselves, which we use, of course, in the Eastern Church as well. Both the East and West rely a lot on the Psalms and verses from the Scripture for their prayer and their liturgical services. But in the East, they will use paraphrases of the Scripture, but also meditations, theological meditations upon the Scriptures, upon these great events. And these are written by great saints throughout the history of the Eastern churches. So we call this a kind of a dogmatic chant or dogmatic hymnody. So we're going to use that. We're going to rely on those texts to kind of immerse us in the manifold, many, many layered meanings of this great feast day of the theophany of the baptism of Christ. You can say it either way, the baptism of Christ or theophany. Theophany meaning that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was revealed in the moment of Christ's baptism. Remember, his Father's voice boomed out from the heavens. This is my beloved Son, to whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. And there was Jesus himself. So we had all three persons of the Trinity being revealed in this magnificent moment. But it can also be referred to as just the baptism of Christ as well. Let's look at a few of the liturgical texts. The first one gives us a hint as to what is to come. And this is part of the troparia. The troparia are verses that are peculiar or particular to a particular feast. In this case, of course, it's the baptism of Christ. And this troparia I'm going to read, this verse, this liturgical text, actually comes a few days before Theophany itself. And so oftentimes what happens in the liturgical calendar of the Eastern churches, we sort of anticipate a holy day by using some of the actual texts from that day a few days before. This is what we say in the Eastern church. And again, this would be chanted, Make ready, O Zabulon. And prepare yourself, O Nephtali, O River Jordan, stop and receive with joy the Master coming to be baptized. O Adam, rejoice with the first mother Eve. Do not hide yourselves as before in paradise. For having seen you unclothed, Christ has appeared to clothe you with the first robe. He has appeared to renew all creation. Now, as always, these dogmatic chants are just packed with deep theology and relevant theology. This one has a lot to do with ourselves as human beings, understanding who we are as human beings, our origin and our destiny. Especially this line here, O Adam, rejoice with the first mother Eve, and do not hide yourselves as before in paradise. Remember Adam and Eve, once they looked at each other and realized they were naked and they were ashamed, they made fig leaves, covered their bodies, especially their gendered parts, and they hid from God. They hid from each other. Now, originally, Adam and Eve were made in such a way with an innocence, an original innocence, as John Paul II refers to in his Theology of the Body, in such a way where when they looked at each other in their nakedness, in each other's nakedness, they did not feel shame. They saw each other sacramentally as God intended us to see, as God sees, as we're always supposed to see, a vision that we must strive in our spiritual lives to recover. But with the fall, with original sin, they ceased to see each other sacramentally, and their nakedness became shameful. So the verse says here that, Do not hide yourselves as before in paradise, for having seen you unclothed, Christ has appeared to clothe you with the first robe. Now, what does he mean by the first robe? Well, in the Eastern churches, the fathers would 
say that the first appearance, the way that the human beings appeared, was a little bit different than they looked in some way different than the way they looked after sin. They sometimes call this like a the garment of sin or the garment of skin. In other words, that somehow our overall appearance became a little bit more physical than it was before, that we had an original role, we had an original kind of character to us. And that kind of character we will regain and even exceed in heaven when our bodies and souls reunite and they are transfigured gloriously in heaven. That is actually a form of how we were made at the beginning. We don't know exactly how that was, but Adam and Eve were beings that were more spiritualized. There's a little more of an integration between the spiritual and the physical at the time. This is what the Eastern Fathers teach, that originally we were more like that. So they call that the original robe. But then with sin, because sin was basically a choice to desacramentalize the physical, to kind of separate it out from the spiritual, what happened was then the physical took on a little bit different character and it kind of developed a kind of a character or a prominence that it didn't have before. So things were kind of out of balance in our nature, kind of disintegrated, and we took on another kind of robe or a garment of skin. In other words, where our passions, the physical part of us, began to take a place greater than it should have. In other words, there was an imbalance, there was a rupture, there was a disintegration. So these words are very profound because they give us insight into how we were made and how we were meant to be. And Christ comes into the world to restore all that. So it says, For having seen you unclothed, Christ has appeared to clothe you with the first robe. He has appeared to renew all creation. Very, very significant. And this renewal begins with the past feast, which is Christmas. And we say in the Byzantine church that this was a splendid feast of the Lord's nativity, but now an even more splendid feast of our Lord's baptism and the revelation of the Trinity now occurs. And all this has a lot to do with the renewal of creation. In other words, Christ is coming to restore things as they were meant to be. But not only that, he's going to go one better. He's going to take us beyond things as they originally were. Now that shows you the great, great love that God had. He wasn't just going to restore us, as beautiful as that was. He was going to come and give us a destiny that was going to be even greater. Can you imagine that? That was his repayment for our rebellion, for our sin. He says, I'm going to come down there. I'll show you what I'm going to do. You're going to sin. You're going to go against me. I'll show you. I will make you even, in the end, even greater than you originally were. Can you imagine that? What incredible love. And all that is expressed in this brief troparion from the liturgical text of the Byzantine Church for the Feast of Theophany, the Epiphany, the Baptism of Christ. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's Reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. 
That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. People often ask me, what is the difference between an Eastern Catholic and a Latin Rite Catholic? Hello, I'm Father Thomas J. Loya with an Eastern Christian Moment. The difference between Eastern Catholicism and Roman or Western Catholicism is not a difference in belief, nor is it just a matter of different customs and traditions. Rather, it is a difference of theological emphasis, of seeing the same thing but from different vantage points, according to the respective genius of both lungs of the Church. For instance, in Western spirituality, there is an emphasis of man striving towards God and how the accomplishments of man point to the greatness of God. This emphasis became expressed in the tall verticality of Gothic church architecture and in works of famous artists and composers. In the East, the starting point is God's transcendence, which becomes imminent and incarnate. This emphasis became expressed in the domes, arches, and iconography of the Eastern churches. East and West may differ in emphasis, but they both arrive at the same place of the one true God. To find out more about the Eastern Lung of the Church, go to easternchristianmedia.com. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Law, your host, speaking to you on the very, very splendid, marvelous doubleheader today, Sunday, which is, of course, always reminiscent of participation in, liturgically, the resurrection of Christ. But also this particular Sunday, this year, it is also Theophany or Epiphany, the baptism of Christ, the revelation of the Trinity. And we're talking about how significant that is in the liturgical texts and how they bring us into the meaning, the multi-layered and very relevant meaning of this event. Remember, whenever we celebrate Holy Days, feast days in the church, this is not history lessons. This is not just paying a certain homage to the past. This is actually entering into that event as though, and in fact, it is happening now because the events of Christ, the events of the Bible are basically timeless. They, They kind of exist in a timelessness. They are as relevant now. We step into them mystically, and that means it spans time. time. The time constraints kind of collapse, and we're entering into that mystery, that reality, as though it's happening right now. There is no past, present, future. It's now. And that's why oftentimes we'll use the word today in our prayers. And when we refer to something in the past, we'll say, today Christ is baptized. Today the Holy Spirit hovers above the Lord, and so on like that. It makes it very, very timeless, very relevant. We're looking at the liturgical texts in terms of how they have many, many multiple meanings, many leveled meanings for us. Let's look at a couple more. O River Jordan, prepare yourself and seek Christ our God, appearing to be baptized by John in order to shatter the heads of the monsters in the sea. Through the power of his divinity, rejoice, O wilderness of joy, then all you mountains dance with delight, for the giver of life has come to call back Adam. O voice that cries out in the wilderness, O John the forerunner, cry out, make ready the way of the Lord and clear him a straight path. Okay, you notice that we're talking to nature. See, 
the Eastern churches really, boy, they were way ahead of Walt Disney. That's right. We kind of bring to life, almost give a kind of a human persona, almost a kind of a human persona to nature. Because the reason is because it is so real to us. What happened was when God enters into nature, first by his nativity, and now as he enters into water, we now have a new, renewed significance of these aspects of nature, so much so that they become almost alive. They become very real, significant. We become much more a part of them. We become closer to them. So as though we could speak to them and they could speak to us. We speak to them almost as if they are a person, much like in a sense, Walt Disney, you know, where he, he, he uh, the whole Disney phenomenon was that it would take nature and animals and kind of give them a certain a human persona. That was part of the charm. That's why Disney is so has been so successful worldwide. Well, there's actually a liturgical, mystical approach to that, which is very much a part of the Eastern spirituality, and especially on a day like today. We're very much into making nature very, very real, almost giving it human-like qualities that we can speak to it and it can speak back to us. Here's another text. Let us praise together the one who is beyond all understanding, for he accepted our poverty in the flesh and drew near to be baptized, thereby restoring us to our former state, for he is an all-merciful God. Let us extol his condescension, and cry out with grateful hearts, glory to Epiphany, O Christ. Okay, there you see the word Epiphany being used. But in the again, in the East, it also is really referring to a showing forth of not just of Jesus Christ, yes, but also of the Trinity. And it says here, too, that he, thereby restoring to us our former state. As we said earlier, Christ came to restore. You know, he, be, he comes here as the new Adam, that's who he is. Yeah, Christ is the new Adam. He is the human being. He's the Adam that was supposed to be, the one that was supposed to remain faithful to God and to the order of creation, retain his original innocence, and move body and soul completely integrated, peacefully, like a sleep, into heaven and be glorious, glorified. This was the intention. This was the original plan that God had. Well, human beings, Adam, Eve, blew it. <laughs> And the rest of us do, too, through sin, by sharing in their sin. So God wanted to complete his plan. He was not going to be outdone. He was going to still finish his plan because he loved us so much, and his plan was good. So what did he do? He says, you know what I'll do? I'll remake creation. I'll make a new Adam, and it'll be myself, become human in the flesh. That will be the new Adam. So the second person of the Trinity, God himself, becomes flesh, becomes the new Adam to, in a sense, go backward and restore things, but in a new way and with a kind of an indication, a direction pointing to the future. In other words, our ultimate destiny. It's just a marvelous, marvelous plan, all expressed through the liturgical text and the the ritual of a great feast like this. There's another one. Oh, what a marvelous wonder. The compassionate Savior clothes himself in the nakedness of Adam as in a robe of glory. He prepares to stand naked in the flesh in the streams of the Jordan. How shall the river receive you, O Master and Lord? For you are the one who makes your dwelling above the rains. O Jesus, our benefactor, we all glorify your epiphany. Now notice in these texts, and you'll see a lot of that in the text for this feast day, there's a lot of mention of nakedness, of Adam's nakedness and Christ's nakedness. And it's very significant. We shouldn't be squeamish about this because, again, we're looking at this mystically. We're looking at the physicality that God created, which, of course, is holy, 
And we're seeing it in, in its mystical sense, in its ultimate identity. Remember, human beings were not supposed to look at each other with lust and with shame. They could look at each other's body, naked, and see in it God, how God reveals himself through our very bodies, our very persons as male and female. Now, all that God is, of course, confused and disintegrated with original sin. So, so there's a lot of mention of restoring that aspect of our sexuality, of gender, the meaning of gender, of our body, of nakedness, trying to restore that original view of it, that sacramental view. And also the meaning of this idea of Adam as in a robe of glory. It says, the Savior clothes himself in the nakedness of Adam as in a robe of glory. Can you imagine that? We see nakedness as being shameful. Here It's saying here, and again, this is written by saints, and we, we've been praying this in the Eastern churches for centuries, written by saints as part of our liturgy, our prayer. We see that Jesus clothes himself in the nakedness of Adam as in a robe of glory? Yes. In other words, he takes on that body of the human person, naked in the water, but it's that nakedness as it was before the fall. In other words, we don't see it as lustful, as precise why he takes it on. He, he says, I'm going to come down there, I'm going to take on this naked body, and I'm going to take it on and live it and bring it back to how it was supposed to be seen in the beginning. Remember Adam and Eve saw each other, they looked at each other, and they were naked, but they felt no shame? Because they had an innocence about them. They saw each other's very naked bodies, their whole personhood, all of creation, in fact, sacramentally. And that's what Christ came to restore. Now, let's look at another verse. The mystery of the virgin is beyond expression, for she has been revealed as heaven and the throne of the cherubim, as the light-bearing bridal chamber of the Almighty God. Let us extol her in faith as the Theotokos. Now, there you see the light-bearing chamber. What a magnificent description of the mother of God. She's a bridal chamber. What is a bridal chamber? It's a place where there is a nuptial union, the one flesh union between husband and wife, a consummation of a marriage between the bridegroom and the bride. And there we have the image that gives us a sense of our ultimate relationship with God, one of being a spouse. That's right, a mystical spouse. You have to think mystically here. That God created for him a bride. He is the bridegroom. He creates for himself a bride. And then he weds that bride. He enters into her, into a relationship of intimacy and love, and gives his very body to his bride, sacrifices himself, spends himself, offers himself as an oblation on behalf of that bride. This is where all of marriage, as we know it, comes from. That's the, the context, the model for it, is the relationship of God to us. And the Virgin Mary is seen as that bridal chamber. This is where this relationship takes place between God the bridegroom and we, his bride. In the Virgin Mary, she becomes the bridal chamber and also, mystically speaking, the bride. That's why on the cross, Jesus looks down at her and says, woman, Behold your son, not mother, woman, behold your son. The only other time he called her woman was at the wedding of Cana, his first miracle. And that first miracle comes to its fullness at the consummation of the mystical marriage on the cross between Jesus Christ, the new Adam, and his mother, who is now also the new Eve. And the human race is mystically reborn. So you see the connection? The baptism of Christ, the nativity of Christ, Christ's death on the cross, the miracle of the wedding at Cana. Imagine the wonderful continuity of Revelation. 
This is just part of the riches of the Eastern Church that we so much enjoy bringing to in this program, and we certainly enjoy you listening, and there's so much more to discover. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. again. For the first time. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. (laughs) 